Hello, and welcome to episode 10 of the People Still Read Books podcast. I am Will Leach, the host of this podcast, author of the upcoming book, How Lucky, which you actually can pre-order now, though I've been told to wait till after the new year to really encourage people to do that. I think by encourage, it means just have it be like the only thing I say to anyone ever when I meet them on the street, or every time I, every column I write starts with that. At dinner, I make sure that everyone in my family has pre-ordered the book. The Full Court Press. That is not going to happen until after the new year. But you can pre-order it wherever you pre-order books. How lucky it's there. It's the reason I'm doing this podcast, after all. Anyway, I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Or Thanksgiving, like I suspect a lot of people's. I hope, like a lot of people's. It was pretty much like any other day, except we ate more food. And that was it. Anyway... I'm delighted to have as my guest this week, David Daly. David Daly is the author of the new book, Unrigged, How Americans Battled Back to Save Democracy, which came out in uh, the second week of March of this year, so you can guess how that went. It's a great book, though, and he's probably even better known for his book, Rat Fucked, Why Your Vote Doesn't Count, which, you know, seems relevant of late. He's also the former editor-in-chief of Salon, and, and a great guy who I will confess I have shared a stage with, our mutual friend Burtis Downs, the longtime lawyer and manager for REM who lives here in Athens, back before the pandemic, had a yearly birthday party in which he would have a band pick a certain, play a certain famous band songs, and then all of his friends would come and sing them uh, in front of the band. Uh, two years ago, it was U2. I did uh, The Fly. By the way, I think there's video of that hanging around Facebook somewhere, if you dare. And last year was Tom Petty. I did I need to know, because I need, you know, feisty. Anyway, David Daly did Pride. Uh, he's a friend of Burris and did Pride a couple years ago. I met him at that. We knew each other's work, and uh, I've always been a fan of his. His new book is great. This conversation is probably more political than your average conversation. But you know what? There's a lot of politicking going on out there, particularly here in Georgia, for that matter. Anyway, remind you, as always... Follow us at Still Read Books on Twitter. Email me, people still read books at gmail.com if you'd like to be on the podcast or if you know an author that you think would be great on the podcast. We're looking for new people, looking for lots of fun folk. Um, they keep doing this at the very least till the book comes out, So, uh, which is in May 11th, which you can pre order. Did I mention that? Anyway, uh, be safe, everyone, at Still Read Books on Twitter, people still read books at Gmail, and so on. What part? So, here is David Daly, author of Unrigged, How Americans Battled Back to Save Democracy, and Rat Fucked. Because I need the explicit sticker on this podcast, Why Your Vote Doesn't Count. Here's Dave. I am delighted to have on fellow U2 karaoke singer, <laughs> David Daly, author of Rat Fucked, How Your Vote Doesn't Count, and more recently, and more optimistically, and we'll talk about that, Unrigged, How Americans Battled Back to Save Democracy. This is such a weird question to ask anyone in this day and age, but how are you? You know, I feel like I should answer that by singing a U2 song. Um, I loved it. You were great. But what, but what I'm referring to, by the way, is our, our mutual friend, Bernice Downs, uh, up until the pandemic, had a uh, birthday party every year where uh, first it was U2, last year it was Tom Petty, where people go up and like have a live band karaoke. And you did, I believe you did uh, Pride. I, I did. I have, I have absolutely zero talent, but I throw myself into oh. a performance 
you had talent and a costume and you know i i just embarrassed myself in front of mike mills but had a really good time doing it that is that is not true none of those things are true except the fact that mike mills was there that part is true uh but uh it was a blast and it is it, i encourage everyone it's fine i've got my we'll talk about this at the end but i have my own book coming out my, my novel comes out next year it comes out in may i'm really praying for vaccines i'm sure the transition is not pushing that back at all uh but um i'm a vaccine by then because i want i really want to do a Wilco win. I want to do like a Wilco win where like all my friends come sing Wilco songs and we celebrate this book that uh, no one will buy or read. Um, that would be amazing. I am in. The last thing we did almost before pandemic was we went to Mexico for the Wilco festival for oh, four yes. days and it feels like it was another time all together. Yeah, we saw them in Mexico City right after that. Uh, oh wow! The Birders brought a group out there. We all we actually all went out there, and it was really fun. And uh, and you you could not possibly be more, more right. Uh, there's the idea of it feels just like an entire. I actually interviewed. Um, Jeff Tweedy for that was GQ. a great piece. Yes. Yeah, like a month ago, and it was fun. Just the way he spoke about even doing those concerts. I don't think he even made the piece, but just the way he talked about doing the concerts that you were at, and then doing the Mexico City show. He's like, it just it feels like an entirely different human being did that, and it was only like six months ago. So, right. So that's fun. Um. So you, uh, we have a lot to talk about now. Now, for what it's worth, we are taping this before Thanksgiving. This is running right after Thanksgiving. So know that. Uh, you know, shit be fluid. <laughs> Things go are going on <laughs> across the board. Uh, so I'm sure that when we talk about some of the worries about American democracy right now, after the president uh, graciously uh, uh, concedes and wishes his best for the Biden administration, <laughs> after that happens, a lot of this will probably seem silly. Uh, but just in case that doesn't happen, your um, lips to uh, Trump's ear. Yeah, yeah, no, no thanks. That's, that grossed me out just thinking about it. <laughs> Uh, but just the idea of uh, so much of what you've written about has been really like, you know, both of your books uh, so far have been like two about two, uh, not entirely separate, but certainly not immediately connected things that are very much at the center of everything that is going on right now. One, of course, being kind of the, uh, in Rat Fuck, the kind of the Republican, uh, they're working with state legislatures and their way to gerrymander and do all the things they're doing. And then uh, in Unrigged, the, the idea of activism and trying to get out the vote, and, and we've seen so much, and, and the people that will fight against that, and so much of that, that has come together. I am just curious, before we get into the specifics of everything, what it has been like for you to have written so, I would argue, very intelligently and very compellingly about what is quite obviously has uh, become very apparent, the two central issues of, uh, of our current political age. It's horrifying because I would like to be an alarmist. I would like to be wrong. You know, I wrote a piece on March 16th for Salon that said Trump is not going to cancel the election. He's going to try to steal it by running a power play through these gerrymandered state legislatures. And I felt insane as I wrote it because it seemed so wild that somebody would completely and intentionally crash the car over every constitutional guardrail, even this guy behind the wheel. And it's exactly what has happened. And gerrymandering and redistricting is really at the heart of all of this. Trump's entire strategy before the election, and he telegraphed it, right, was that he wanted to slow down the count in states like Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania, 
so that on election night, it would look like he was the winner. And then when all of the votes came in from Philadelphia and Milwaukee and Detroit, he could scream that it was voter fraud. And this was only possible because the gerrymandered state legislatures in those three states, Democrats win more votes, Republicans hold more seats. They enabled that very narrative by refusing to join the other 40 states in the nation that allow the nonpartisan election administrators to start opening and checking the signatures and and processing all of these ballots, more ballots than they were ever going to have to process by mail before because of COVID. And he intentionally set up this narrative and those state legislatures allowed him to do it. And now he's attempting to do the same thing with those gerrymandered state legislatures and to get them to override the popular vote. And, you know, as we talk before Thanksgiving, we're awaiting a certification in Pennsylvania and in Michigan, and we will see what happens. But even if he doesn't get away with it, and I don't think he will, this time, this is setting us up for future people with a slightly better plan. It's giving these legislatures a little more time and softening the ground for perhaps passing legislation in the next couple of years before the 2024 election that gives them a little more leeway over this electoral college process. Perhaps you have more states that begin to award electoral college uh, votes by congressional district that have been gerrymandered towards one side or the other. I don't think we've heard the last of any of this. It's extraordinarily dangerous. And we live in this era of deeply entrenched minority rule. Yeah, you know, and for people like me who like I follow politics, I've written about politics, but you know, I'm not as, as never I'm not as an expert in this as you. But you know, I remember I covered 2016 for Bloomberg. I covered the election for that was back when the John Heilman uh, uh, and partner who shall no longer be named <laughs> uh, were uh, they had stepped up over there. And I've I've worked with John for for years from New York Magazine, so I went to go cover the election for that. And I went into this idea again. This is how stupid I was that like I'd covered sports, I'd covered entertainment, but there was something about covering politics about it really felt like it would be like almost like civically ennobling for me and it would oh, make no. me feel like uh and and i knew that it was dirty but you know <laughs> I, I i've always kind of had this idea that individually politician wise there's something about someone who could probably make more money outside of politics and therefore and ha- but has some sort of idea that like even if i disagree with them some sort of idea that like i think the world will be a better place if i go into this thing maybe i'm wrong i will put my privacy aside people will yell at me all the time and i have but, but I w- I'm willing to do that. And I've, I found that kind of ennobling. And then I covered the 2016 election. And uh, and what the, what I really discovered was, obviously, there was Trump. But to me, the th- I remember being in Iowa. I was in Iowa, and I was there. Uh, in fact, Bloomberg was the one that ha- hosted the Selzer uh 
poll that year. And of course, she's Ann Selzer's like to create this great pollster, and they were releasing it on their on the program, and she was there. And I remember thinking, well, she's the pollster that's really right about this. So obviously, Trump's only going to get like one percent once they actually <laughs> talk to real voters. Like it really just like that, that was the idea, right? Like people know him from TV, so like you know the crappy pollsters are just using name recognition. But she's the one. She's the one that does the legwork. And so then when he was ahead, he actually did not end up winning Iowa. But certainly, it was a sign that it was not nothing. That was when I realized, oh, there's something more going on than just like this weird cult of personality thing that's happening. And I think what what your 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 uh, particularly Rafak has does a great job of kind of describing, and we're seeing play out now, is the idea that like this is not. Obviously, Trump is the one most shameless to do this when he lost an election so clearly, but it's starting to look like this is not a bug. This is a feature. Were they specifically working to something like this, or did it require a... Uh, and again, not, not like this, because again, they, they would probably have, you know, better lawyers and, like, <laughs> and better stuff going on, but certainly has this, you know, is this just a happy circumstance now that, like, they've done all of this? Was this the goal to eventually just cl- cling on to power no matter what this way, and it's only the fact that it's Donald Trump rather than Tom Cotton, for example, or someone like that, that's, that's messing it up or that, that the election wasn't close enough? Or is this just like a, oh, while we're here, let's test run this until we can figure this out later? Here's my theory as to what happened. Barack Obama gets elected president in 2008. Democrats win a super majority in the U.S. Senate. And if you look back at the cable news that night, not that I recommend it, but I had to for, for work. And you've got all of these people on Fox, on all of the networks, talking about how Republicans are going to be the minority party in this nation for a generation because of the demographic changes that are taking place. And Republicans tried to figure out what they could do as a path back to power. And what they realized was that as historic as the 2008 election was, the 2010 race had the ability to be that much more consequential because it was a year ending in zero. So it's a census year, which means we do redistricting right after the census. In in most states, just about all of them, it's state legislatures that control um, the process of drawing lines for their own chambers, as well as for the congressional districts in their states. And a handful of really smart Republican strategists looked at this and said, that's the way back. We will take advantage of the outsized importance of state legislatures. Let's try to run the table in a midterm year that's likely to be a good Republican wave year and try to win all of these swing state legislatures, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Ohio, Wisconsin, North Carolina, Florida, right? All these states that we keep talking about. Essentially, they played political money ball. Um, they recognized the undervalued asset, which in this case was state legislatures. It was not, you know, in Billy Bean's book, it's, you know, um, overweight catchers. <laughs> yeah. A good guys, yeah, yeah, percentage. guys who don't, look at, genes, don't yeah. look at genes. Yes, yes. You look at state legislatures, and that's what they did. So they spent $30 million on a plan called REDMAP, the Redistricting Majority Project. They target 107 state legislative seats across 16 states. They win control of all of those chambers. They redraw all of the maps in all of the congressional districts. 2012 is a pretty good Democratic year again, but at the congressional level and at the state legislative level, those maps hold. So the Republicans go, wow, we did something here. The trouble is 
they didn't know what they created. They created this Frankenstein's monster that essentially devoured them. Because once you create as many uncompetitive rig districts designed to elect one person from a specific party, you have nullified the value of the general election. The only thing that matters is the party primary. And that gives you the most extreme base candidate you're going to find. Um, Mark Meadows is my favorite example of this. Mm -hmm. In North Carolina, Democrats um, had controlled the the seat that uh, Meadows held uh, for the previous four years. It was actually held by Heath uh, Schuler, the, uh, the former, oh, yeah, former quarterback, a quarterback, um, a, a pretty conservative Democrat. And, and this district included Asheville, North Carolina, uh, and the Western mountains of the state. So, you know, hippie vegan Asheville and the conservative Western mountains where the um, Olympic bomber goes right. to hide. Right. Um, and, Schuler takes one look at these new lines and says, I can't win here. And he goes off for more lucrative work as, a, as an energy lobbyist. And Mark Meadows is a sandwich shop proprietor. And he runs on a birther platform. You can go find the video of him saying, I'm going to go send Barack Obama back to Kenya or wherever it is he comes from. He wins this district with 38% of the vote in the Republican primary. And he goes on to Washington, where he not only doesn't like Barack Obama, but he's the guy who files the parliamentary motion to take John Boehner out as speaker. And this is just his pathway towards becoming one of the most powerful men in Washington as Donald Trump's chief of staff. Redistricting, this strategy made Mark Meadows possible. It created a party full of Mark Meadows. And once you head down this path, all of those state legislatures begin passing voter ID bills and eliminating days of absentee balloting and, and, and purging voter rolls. And once you head down taking the strategy of we can't win unless if we make it harder for the other side to vote, you are playing a dangerous game that ends in what we are seeing right now, a nation that does not trust in many ways the legitimacy of its elections. Well, I would argue another worrisome aspect of this too then, and one of the things that, you know, there's all this talk about like, why are Democrats not happier? They got, they beat Trump, they beat him by a lot. Like he doesn't want to leave or whatever. We know he's going to leave. And a lot, there's all this like, and sure they didn't get the Senate the way they wanted, but like, listen, if you are casually following this, or even if you are, if you are someone that was is so repulsed by Trump, or or even just terrified by Trump that you just want to get him out, it feels like okay, well, this should be good news, right? Like like you know, there's there's this this the school of thought is that you know get Trump out and the national temperature can just go down a, a little bit, but. Uh, kind of what you're arguing here, and I, I, I definitely, I, I don't want to believe it because I, it makes me sad. And uh, not believing things that are sa- make you sad is turning out great for the country right now. Um, but for me, it does feel like because the problem is now Trump's gone. But like, not only did Democrats not get back the Senate, they lost some seats in the House and lost a lot in local legislatures, which are exactly the type of people who drew the maps in the first place and are probably going to be more ennobled to continue to do this. So getting Trump out, would it, would, I, is, does it not matter? I mean, I guess getting Trump getting out matters, but it sounds like their behavior has just been rewarded. 
I think that's right. I mean, I'm thrilled that we will have Trump gone. Perhaps we can actually take on a pandemic. Maybe. With adult responsible leadership. Um, But Republican minority rule is going to endure regardless of whether Donald Trump is in office. These toxins preceded Donald Trump, and they will still be left in our political bloodstream once he is gone. And he will have left a lot of additional poison behind. You have seen now that a president that lost the popular vote has now appointed three justices to the U.S. Supreme Court, and they were confirmed by a U.S. Senate that does not represent a majority of Americans. Um, The 52-53 Senate Republicans who approved these nominees represent fewer people than the 47 Democrats that voted no. Um, So there is this Republican lean to the Electoral College. There is this Republican structural lean to the U.S. Senate. They have entrenched themselves with lifetime appointments on the U.S. Supreme Court. They have stacked and packed the lower levels of the federal bench for the last four years. That's been Mitch McConnell's main guiding project. And they continue to hold the advantage in all of these state legislatures as we head into the next round of redistricting next year. Republicans had their gerrymandered maps hold for an entire decade in all of those states. And they will control the process in 2021 in just about all of those states once again. Um, And so there's a lot of work to do if we want to actually try to rebuild a meaningful democracy that lives up to our ideals. Well, and this is, uh, to go back to you, to go to your newer book, this is kind of the idea of unrigged, right? It's the idea that, there, there, I don't know if there are people are saying directly to what you talked about in that fact, but there is that, that notion that there has been so much success. And for, for what it's worth, now that we've seen, we've seen this election, we've seen that like more people voted for Joe Biden than anyone that's ever voted for president. Uh, and it feels like, wow, they did it. They got the vote. I'm actually working on a story for New York Magazine about uh, LeBron James' uh, uh uh, more than a, more than more than a vote. I forget the name of the organization, but I'm working on that that organization. And you know, they were involved in getting basketball arenas where all of this mm-hmm. uh, they, they were able to get all this vote out. And on one end, it feels like like you've seen this uh, like that part that we all anticipated turn out being up and more and more people voting. If Trump getting more and people uh, more and more people out to vote against Trump clearly worked. The problem was Trump also got so many people that don't ordinarily vote uh, to come out and vote. So I'm curious, can this problem is now that we know this information, is this problem uh, is what you're uh, what you're talking, what you write about in, in Unrigged, is that offset by the fact that Trump could bring out these many more voters, that uh, Trump did a little bit actually better in some of these cities uh, than he did in 2016? Or is that a Trump-specific issue that uh, that if you just... Like, is the, is the notion now... It's always been the idea that voter turnout is good for Democrats. Do you think that's still the case, having learned the information we learned from that, that election, or do you think that was, anomaly? that was an anomaly? 
You know, I think that voters don't like voter suppression. And it makes people mad, and it makes them determined to go out and stand in line. And you saw this in Georgia. You saw these six, seven, eight-hour lines of people saying, you're not going to stop me from making my voice heard. And I think that's a great thing, and I think that ought to cut across partisan lines and should ideally not be a partisan issue. Um, What I saw in going out and reporting Unrigged, which after writing something as gloomy and depressing as rat fucked and feeling like I was sucking the air out of every room I was in (laughs) every podcast I was on talking about it was the opportunity to go around the country and embed myself with these local heroes, these citizens who decided to become the change that they wanted to see. And all of the experts told them that what they were trying to do was too hard and too expensive and too much work for the odds of succeeding. And they did it anyway. And they organized themselves and they won these huge structural victories in red states, in blue states, in purple states by banding together with their fellow citizens. Five states in 2018 decided to take on partisan gerrymandering um, and end it with, you know, some version of an independent redistricting commission. One of my favorite stories is in Michigan. There's a young woman named Katie Fahey. She's 27 years old. And two days after the 2016 election, she's already thinking ahead to what Thanksgiving is going to be like in her house. We actually had Thanksgiving back in 2016. Yeah, I remember that. It was this holiday, which you got together with your family. (laughs) Who you could touch and and see and sit with. And argued about politics and tried to win the day against your racist <laughs> uncle. <laughs> um, and she was thinking, about, well, you know, there's there's Sanders people, there's Trump people, there's Hillary people. There's going to be mashed potatoes and cranberry sauce flying through the air. And she <laughs> goes on to Facebook before she goes to work. And she posts, I want to do something about partisan gerrymandering in Michigan. If you want to join me, reach out. And then she adds a smiley face emoji. And that... That Facebook message sparks a redistricting revolution in Michigan. They form a group called Voters Not Politicians. They generate hundreds of thousands of signatures, 430,000 signatures. It's the first time in Michigan history that citizens get something on the ballot without having to resort to uh, paid petition gatherers. And they defeat the entire political establishment, the Chamber of Commerce, groups funded by the Koch brothers and the DeVos family in Michigan. And they win this independent commission with 62% of the vote. And citizens, not politicians, will draw the lines in Michigan in 2021, ending a decade of Republican minority rule in which Democrats have won more votes for the state house every single year, but never had control of the chamber. People did that, you know? I mean, I went out to Idaho and I rode the Medicaid Express with these young activists who said, well, there's 70,000 people in the state that fall inside the Medicaid gap. They don't qualify for the, the, the state exchange or the, or the federal program. And our state legislature for six years in a row has not taken the free Obamacare money back, probably because it's named after a black president. Let's go around them. 
And they organized and they bought an RV and they crusaded to every county and they collected signatures and they went door to door and they won. I had this amazing experience in Idaho Falls where we go up and we are walking up a driveway of somebody's house. It's this Mormon conservative town in the eastern part of the state. And there's a bumper sticker on this guy's car that says, Vietnam, we were winning when I left. And I'm thinking to myself, maybe we just want to go to the next house. You know, I mean, (laughs) Saigon was still in pretty good shape when this guy (laughs) was hanging out there. I mean, right. I mean, if I was driving down the highway and I saw this guy's bumper sticker, I would speed up to not let him in. Right. (laughs) And and the canvassers I'm with just walk up to the door. They knock on it. A a man comes to the door. He's got, you know, one of those Screaming Eagle T-shirts on. He's this old (laughs) You know, I was like, what do you want? And they're like, we're here to tell you about Medicaid expansion. And he's like, oh, I'm completely for that. My family falls in that donut hole. My kids fall in that hole. I'm going to sign your petition. I'm going to vote for this. And I'm just thinking to myself, and this gets back to your question, right? This stuff doesn't have to be partisan. We can still find a way to cut through all of this cultural crap and talk to one another and persuade each other. And what I saw in Unrigged is that that spirit is still alive nationwide, even when you don't see it reflected in our social media feeds or in our partisan news bubbles or in our everyday politics. I mean, to be honest, please correct me if I'm wrong, that sounds a little bit like Bidenism, doesn't it? Like, isn't that part of what he's trying? Like, it's, like whether you think it's going to work or whether it's not, his whole thing is that, like, he ignores Twitter. He doesn't get involved in these things. He tries to reach out to the other side. Uh, maybe this is a matter of reaching out to voters rather than reaching out to Mitch McConnell. But do you think that's actually something? I mean, Biden being Biden and all that comes with that. But do you think, like, do you think that's one of the things he's trying to do? Do you think it can work? Listen, I think that there are huge majorities of Americans that, understand that there's a pathway forward on issues that even seem controversial, right? I mean, even even on gun control, you can find meaningful reforms that 65, 70% of people get behind. There's a pathway on immigration. There's a pathway on healthcare. There's a path on all of these things, but it's the way that our politics is set up. It's the structural stuff, and it's the extremism and the polarization that has been bred there by things like redistricting that gets in the way of actually solving problems. And we need to fix some of the structural problems before we're going to be able to incentivize our politicians to actually enact things that people want. Well, that's, well can we do it? I don't know. I mean, I really thought that the Democrats had to take back the Senate and enact H.R. 1, the big For the People omnibus Mm. democracy reform package, and do some things on redistricting and independent commissions and campaign finance. And, um, you know, I think now, I think it's going to be a lot harder without that. I mean, unless if all of you in Georgia have a couple of surprises for us in early January. We're working on it. I mean, it, 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 for the record, for the record, we do have the governor involved in our Venezuelan uh, scheme. So, you know, that, that, that I don't know that how you pulled that off. Very impressive. Yeah. It, it's all Georgia football. It's really all Georgia football. We're just all Georgia football fans. And so we get them together to uh, to do that. But people working on it like, listen, I mean, 
it's going to be an uphill climb. I don't yeah. think anyone thinks it's not going to be, but uh, I think we're working on it. But I mean, do, is there even if but if that if if we if they don't if Georgia does not save democracy, can democracy be saved? It's going to be a longer. It's going to be a longer haul. Um, you know, I think I think I think you have to have Mitch McConnell on the show and ask him that question. Um, I I don't know what you're going to see out of the Republican Senate in six weeks. If they hold on to it, are they going to give Biden his cabinet? Are they going to completely obstruct the same way that they obstructed Barack Obama for all of those years? Or is it possible that Mitt Romney and Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski find a way to form a governing block that can um, perhaps move some common sense and 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 suck some of the the toxic polarization out of the system i think a lot of that remains to be seen okay i want to talk about the process of your most recent book because uh, and then i have one question i asked everybody at the end uh i've talked to a few people who have had their books come out uh in the pandemic i talked to uh to david hill uh who wrote the vapors which is a terrific book by the way about the old hot springs arkansas uh casinos back in the in the 50s of all uh, by, by the mob it's a great book and i talked to melissa mayors who had a, who had a, who mm-hmm. just wrote a great oral history of uh daisy confused and they both had their books come out in the pandemic and kind of all that's come with that um and sometimes some, some things it's been good they say they've been able to do more press because everyone's home and they're just worried but there's something about not being able to go out and actually see people your book actually came out like right the week that it hit like it actually came out the week thanks for that... reminding me sorry 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 uh how did you handle it how you doing uh, was was there a way to 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 crawl out from that i mean um are you putting me on the couch because that's probably <laughs> where i need to be for the record um, i've read the book and it's wonderful so like i'm, I'm on your side you so know, i'm on your side um, so um you can't make this stuff about yourself um, there's I know, a pandemic I know, going I know. on we I had know, the bad I know, luck to, you know, share a publication date with the day that the country shut down. Um, but, you know, I mean, lots of, you know, 250,000 people died and um, right. weren't able to say goodbye to their their family except on, on FaceTime. And, you know, I mean, I think that the amount of of heartbreak that we've had in this country over the last year has been so much. I don't know how we reckon with it all, right? I mean, I think of all these high school kids who lost graduation or prom or people who lost the end of their of their senior year of college or relationships that might have gone on to become, you know, families and marriages. And you think of these deaths and weddings and um, we've had a lot of of pain and we've had a president that's been unwilling to sort of allow any of this to sort of come out right who who couldn't help us um aggrieve and you know it's one of the things i i admire about biden um you know i mean if you've read richard ben kramer's book Mm -hmm. and um you know see the way that he relates to people in heartbreak and there's just been so much and i hope that we can find a way to kind of collectively hold each other up as we as we uh as we head into a really hard winter and um 
and celebrate all of the things that deserve to be celebrated because there's a lot of people and a lot of, you know, jobs and promotions and births and, and weddings and graduations that ought to be celebrated. And um, where does all that go if you don't do it, right? I yeah. mean, I hope we get a chance to share it all again. Okay, last question, happier book question, uh, which is, I ask this of everyone at the end of every show, that first thing, and maybe we got to go back to Rat Fucked with this one because it was, the first, it was your first, you know, the first big book you've had. When you got the physical copies, like, what was it like when you did the unboxing, right? You know, because, you know, we work on this for so long, books take, so, there, there, there's so much effort and so much of your soul go into them, and, and there's, the, and it, like, I just got the first, not the galleys, but, like, the bound manuscript wow. you sent to, like, blurbers. I just, well, like, but, but I only got, like, two, because they're not really, they're not even copy edited yet. Like, they're not even, like, official galleys. They're just, like, literally just to send to blurbers. So it doesn't feel like it's quite there, but that, that first, and I, and I, and I certainly haven't, not even close to getting the hardcovers yet, but, like, what it feels like, like, like what what did it feel like to you when you were able to open that box of your books for the first time? <laughs> um it's overwhelming. Your knees will sort of buckle, you know. <laughs> um I mean I was I wrote this book while I wrote Ratfucked as the editor of Salon working twenty four hour days. <laughs> right. Um we had a a new, you know, a newborn at home. Um, I had a month of book leave and I set off on a month long reporting process and my dad died on the second day of that unexpectedly. Oh, I'm sorry. And so there was so much emotion and um, just, there were so many times you just didn't think it would happen. You know, I'm like, am I really going to be able to do this? Am I going to be able to to get through it all and you open it up and hold it in your hand and you sort of can't believe it's real it's 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 an amazing it's an amazing feeling and um you will you will love it <laughs> <laughs> okay. well well again we're going may 11th of 2021 so we'll there's certainly Ooh. the lack of a transition is not getting me closer to my book tour hope that i was going to but you never know now there's all these vaccines in the market we'll see we'll see what happens you've um, got a real chance you've got a real I, I got chance. a chance i got a small yeah so well one i'll tell you what if we make it i want you out here singing wilco you two and tom petty songs with me and burtis because i think um, that would be uh, believe you me uh i got a box full of letters i think <laughs> yeah, you that's a might great like to hear that'd be a great one to do actually that would be awesome. i'm so by the way you can get those uh you know they have the uh the road cases on the wilco website i've actually heard all of those mexico shows they didn't put our mexico city show up there but they put all of those if you i don't know if you know this but you can go if you loved those shows you can actually download them and have them i think they're like eight dollars a piece for each show and uh and i think were you at the show where they have like the people cover they had the, like like contest not contest winners but people go on and sing their songs with them on stage i think it was one of the things they did in Mexico City. Um, you know, they usually do that out at the Mass Mocha. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm, 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 I'm conflating the two. I'm conflating. And that's only about an hour from our house. So if yeah. they ever do that again, come on up here. Yes. Did Burtis go? Didn't Burtis go out there? One we time got Burtis yeah. there a couple of years ago, yeah. and it was fantastic. And I hope we're able to do all of that stuff again <laughs> really, yes. really soon. 
That would be fantastic. Okay, uh, David Daly, the book, the bo- the most recent book is Unrigged: How Americans Battle to Save Back Democracy, and the previous book, Right Fucked: Why Your Vote Doesn't Count. Thank you for talking with me. Thank you for helping me stay both scared and sane, which I think is actually important. I think these are two things we should all be both doing, like being alert, but also not not falling apart. So thank you for both of those things. We fight on. Onward. Thanks, Will. Of course. Be safe, everyone. Uh, get David Daly's books. He's great. He's awesome. And he is, in fact, contrary to his thoughts, a perfectly excellent singer. Be safe, everyone. And we'll be back uh, next week. I think there's a book about Beverly Hills 90210 we're talking about next week. So we're taking a... a Donna a Martin graduates. <laughs> exactly. I think it'll be fun. We're, we're, we're jumping all over the place one way or another. Be safe, everyone. Uh, take care. And we'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.